Thank you, Caitlin. Evening, everyone. My name is Kamal. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Minister of this church, and it's my privilege to be bringing us God's Word from Psalm 19. Let's pray and ask God to help us by His Holy Spirit. Father God, thank you for this world that we enjoy. Thank you for the breath we can take, because you created our lungs, you created the oxygen in this air, which, and you created the um, mechanisms in our lungs for us to be able to survive. We live because of you. So help us to understand this psalm, not just intellectually, but to love you, to love this world you have put us in, and to hear your glory, to see your glory all around us, and to hear what even this world says to us. We pray this because your spirit works in us, because we know your word made flesh Jesus. In his name, amen. We live in an extremely technologically advanced society. And nowadays, we make the most of that with our mobile phones and cameras and internet and so on. But a lot of this technology has improved our health and our wealth and our stability and our ability to enjoy life out of sight. Did you know that just 200 years ago, which is not that long okay, okay, in the history of the world, just 200 years ago, 43% of children died before age 5. And over the, in 2015, it dropped tenfold to only 4.3%, okay? Because of medicine. And that's all across the whole world. Not only that, education is improving. Back 200 years ago in the 1800s, only one in five people got even a primary school education. Now, in 20, 2015, that's improved across the world to four out of five people. Science, learning, technology, progress, it's blessed us, it's blessed the whole world. It makes our life safer, happier, healthier. And this is why more and more people think that we have to leave religion behind. One of the biggest obstacles to people following Jesus is this attitude, this presumption that science and religion are completely opposed. And as it were, that there's a, a fight to the death between them. Nowadays, religion is equated with being closed-minded and ignorant. So if you're intelligent and learned, you must be an atheist. And if you're religious, you must be a fool. I don't care how many degrees you got, you're still an idiot. Because you're religious, okay? In fact, people are more and more thinking that if we are religious, then we are not just ignorant, we're anti-progress. That we want to turn all of these advances completely around. People think we're in favor of sickness and disease that we want to stop people being educated because we're religious and religious people are in favor of ignorance. Now, has anyone actually been paid out like that? Anyone been called a dinosaur or something? Okay, one. Okay, the rest of you need to get out more. Uh, because that's just the attitude of this secular society, the, the encroachment of what we call sort of aggressive secularism. Now, the assumption behind this, that sort of conflict between science and religion, right, that the assumption behind that 
is that the more we listen to nature, the less we hear God. But Psalm 19 actually tells us exactly the opposite. The more we listen to nature, the more we hear this creation sing the praises of its creator. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created the universe by speaking, God said, and it happened. As something formed by God's speech, nature, this created order, talks about God. They do what any created being should do. They say thank you. They rejoice in their creator. They declare his glory, as it says in the middle of verse 1. And this created order speaks to all people all over the world. Look at verses 3 and the first half of verse 4. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The Rocky Mountains speak to, to the USA and to Canada. The Amazon rainforest speaks to Brazil. The Pacific Ocean speaks to Fiji. There's no escaping this testimony. That's the point of verses 4 to 6, starting in the second half of verse 4, that funny bit about the sun and stuff. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The sun's heat penetrates and sticks around even more than its light. We've noticed that during the course of this week, haven't we? We go under a shelter, under the shade of a tree, trying to escape the sun's heat. It's still hot. The sun goes down and we try to sleep at night. It's so hot we can't even get proper sleep. The heat of the sun. There's no escaping it. And just like that, we can't escape the speech of creation about God. This is the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Simply by existing, the universe speaks to us. It says, hello, I've been made by a really good God. You should worship him. Now this gives us a problem. Because we don't naturally like to think of a creative intelligence behind this world who made us and who made this world. Because if there's a personal creator behind this world, then we owe him. He has the right to demand our allegiance. And if he's a personal creator, then he actually has the intelligence to know better than us how to live in this world. And we don't like that. Because we prefer to see our world as mine. And, to and we prefer to be responsible to no one beyond ourselves so that we can be proud and comfortable and satisfied. 
that this is my world. What does it say? Is it in excess? It's my life. It's now or never. I just want to live while I'm alive. Yeah, I know. I'm showing my age. But that's the gist of this is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is more than just breaking God's rules. Sin is ignoring God, turning away from Him, and rejecting His rightful claim on our lives. It's the kind of insult when your children say to you, I hate you, I hate you. Or the hurt when someone whom you've really invested a lot of time, one of your friends, you're suddenly not cool enough for them, and they wander off with someone else and just leave you because you're a loser now. That insult... That's what we do to Almighty God. And one way we do this is by reinterpreting and thereby not listening to what creation itself is saying. Nowadays, under this secularism that I mentioned before, more and more people operate from the presumption that this world, this nature is all that exists, and that everything in the whole universe can be completely explained simply through biology, physics, chemistry. And so this world is nothing more than a bunch of biochemical, physical processes. A tree is nothing more than the product of chlorophyll as it changes sun as it's powered by sunlight and turns that sunlight into sugars. We humans are nothing more than physical, chemical, neural beings. And when we die, we go into the earth and we feed the plants that grow over our grave. That's it. And this assumption that this nature is absolutely all that there is deafens us to creation's song, to its creator. This is why The voice of creation only ever judges us. Now, those of us who know our Bible well, you would have noticed that I cheated when I quoted Romans 1.20, because that's not actually the whole verse. The complete verse says, God has been clearly seen in what's been made, so that people are without excuse. No one comes into a personal saving relationship with our Creator God Simply by looking at nature. To know God personally, we need to know him in Jesus of Nazareth, where he reveals himself personally, according to the Bible. If we look at creation, all we do is heap up our own condemnation. But before we look at God's written word, which is God's personal speech to us, and that's the second half of the psalm, let me just make three quick comments about Christianity and science. Okay? First of all, Christians, we love science because science tells us so much about living in God's good world. You know, Christians invented schools. Christians invented universities. Christians invented hospitals because as Christians, we're people who love hurting people, so when we see someone who's sick, we go towards them to care for them, instead of saying, ah, a sick person, and running in the opposite direction before they infect us and kill us. 
I am educated from a, a missionary school in Sri Lanka. My parents were educated in missionary schools in Sri Lanka. I'm sure many of us here have benefited from schools, hospitals, and other things set up by missionaries in foreign countries. I speak the Queen's English because of the missionaries in Sri Lanka. But science, while it tells us a lot, science explains a lot about living in God's world, it doesn't explain everything. Science, the scientific method of, of ex continuous experimentation, it cannot explain history. So we've just had Australia Day, but you can't put Captain Cook in a test tube, right? And you can't look through a telescope to see the first fleet arrive in Botany Bay. It just doesn't work like that. In fact, science cannot tell us anything about unique people. Science cannot tell us anything worthwhile about all of you seated here. We can put you in an x-ray, and that'll tell us about your bones. We can put you in a functional magnetic resonance imagery machine, and that'll tell us about your brain scan. But it doesn't tell us what you like to do on your day off. It doesn't tell us uh, what, how your relationship with your family is. It doesn't tell us what your joys, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your expectations. For that, we have to listen to you as you tell us, as you chat with us. And that is what God does in his Bible as he explains verbally the supernatural, unique realities of the Bible. We cannot put the Holy Trinity in a test tube. You can't look through a telescope and see the incarnation of God the Son as Jesus of Nazareth. It just doesn't work like that. That's not to insult science. It is to say that science cannot dismiss the unique, supernatural realities the Bible claims okay, just because science is not qualified to judge those things. Now, for more of this, I recommend this resource. Lewis Jones he, is a, uh, uh, he works with the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, the University Christian Groups, which we prayed for, and thank you, Richard, for that prayer. Okay? And he runs the postgraduate ministries. Lewis holds a PhD in astrophysics. He's a very intelligent man. And he also is on the Gospel Society and Culture Committee of the Presbyterian Church. So you can download that booklet for free, Atheism, Science, and Christianity, from that website, which is a bit mucked up on the screen. Sorry, it's the forward slash atheism. Come and ask me later if you can't see that properly. For now, let's just get back to the Bible. So the first half of this psalm says that creation praises God. In the New Testament, we know that God is Jesus. All creation sings his praise. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.16 says, By him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. This is why Jesus said something really interesting, provocative, when he was entering Jerusalem. So there's Jesus entering Jerusalem, and his disciples are praising him. The Pharisees say, Teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus says, If they keep quiet, the rocks are going to sing my praise. Nature recognized its creator coming into his capital city, while the religious leaders, they wanted him to be quiet. And this means that creation can be a starting point 
for our personal knowledge of God. Now, quickly again, nobody can come to know God personally simply through creation. But just like Byrne mentioned in his story at the beginning of the service, it might be the starting point. Perhaps some of us, we started our journey to knowing God personally as we just thought, maybe there's something here. Is there someone behind this? Perhaps we could have a chat with our friends and family, just like Byrne mentioned, when you're on holidays, when you're on a bushwalk. Look at that beautiful sunset by the beach. Uh, we're on the wrong side of the planet. It's a sunrise here. We need to go to Perth to see the sunset. Anyway, look at that beautiful sunset. Do you think, my dear friend, is there someone or something behind that? Now, we don't have to be like annoying and a Bible basher if they say, nah, I don't believe there's any God. In fact, it's not even a sunset. That's not technically correct. The sun never sets. It's just an earth rotation. So, yeah, that's a really nice earth rotation. If, yeah, then you can say, bro, that's boring. But, anyway, like, but you never know. Maybe your friend will say, yeah, you know, maybe, that, that's real. maybe there is someone. Maybe there is something. In which case we can say, look, you know I'm a Christian. Jesus painted that sunset just for you on the canvas of the night sky. Do you want to find out about him? Jesus made, crafted that flower just for you and for the bees that use that flower as pollen so you could enjoy the beautiful colors because our God loves beauty. Do you want to find out about this Jesus? Have a go. Have a chat. What's the worst that could happen? People could think that you love Jesus. Shock. Get to Jesus as quick as you can because the only way to know God personally is according to Jesus of the Bible. That's what verses 7 to 9. So getting back to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9. This talks about God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Now, these verses talk about God's written word. We know that because the language he uses, so um, law, statutes, precepts, and all that, right? That refers to the first five books, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what to this day Jewish people call the Torah. Okay? Now, the written word, in fact, the law, you know, don't eat shellfish and all that, that blesses the person who reads it. Did you notice? David says they revive him. Now, it's just coming the start of work, it's coming the start of school. Oh boy, I feel like I need another holiday already. Where are we going for the strength to get by this year? Just the ordinary battles, the battles with work colleagues, the battle with our studies, the battle with family members. Where do we go for strength to survive? Why not go to the Bible? Find out, learn more, meditate upon the God who gave himself for us in Christ, and let his peace, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and minds, as it says in Philippians chapter 4. And this written word, says David, gives us wisdom 
Now, we rely so much on education, and rightly so. You know, it's a bit intimidating. When I went to university, master's degrees were a big deal. Now everybody's got them. I feel like I've been, like, superseded. The Bible doesn't just give us intellectual knowledge. The Bible teaches us God's ways. That's what wisdom means in the Bible. So we can live well in his world according to his created patterns. Why not? Now, by all means, go ahead, study, you know, get your degrees, get your postgrad degrees. You know that I'm a PhD student. I'm in favor of studying. But meditate on the Bible. Find out the ways of God, how he would have us live in this world, his world. Now, I could go on. Verse 8 says the word gives joy and lights our way. Verse 9 says it's reliable. But we're coming back to this passage later on in term one because the series that we're starting next week is a series on the journey of being a growing follower of Christ and one of the topics we'll look at is how the Bible nourishes us on our journey so come back for more then I'm just going to focus on the the center God's written word teaches us to worship him verse beginning of verse 9 the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever Now, fear here does not mean like hiding from God because we think he's some cosmic bully who's going to thump us. It means we are in awe of God. We think he's really cool, he's fantastic, he's fun. Because we know him as Jesus. The Jesus who shows us how holy and powerful and mighty God is. He will not overlook sin. Sin will be punished. But the same God who loves us so much that he in the person of his son would rather die than inflict that judgment upon us. Now that's cool. That's clever. That's kind. That's awesome. Because we love God, we love his written word. Verse 10. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Now this, we need to understand how unusual this is. It sounds like David is committing idolatry. It sounds like he's worshipping an object, the Bible, okay, the written word of God. Now we've discussed this before. Those of you who who come to church regularly, you know that David here loves God's written word precisely because it comes directly from God. Therefore, it communicates God. God is the ultimate author of the Bible through human beings, by his spirit. Therefore, it comes with divine authority, authority. Because of that, and here's the point, okay, the point David is driving at. Because of that, it shapes godliness in us, verses 11 to 14. By them is your servant warned, In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Bible exposes us, it shows us our hidden faults the things that we don't even realize we do and think and say, that, we, that insult God. And it challenges us about our willful sins. 
The things we do and think and say that we jolly well know insult God and we don't care because it makes me feel good. I deserve it. It's my time now. If we are Bible people, then we can never be self-righteous. We'll always be people who are admitting how much we fall short. We'll be people who are seeking to tear sin off from us and seeking more and more to live, verse 14, that our thoughts and words and actions would please God, not just satisfy ourselves. And we can do this with confidence. Confidence? Who apologizes with confidence? To apologize to someone means you're letting them thump you and mock you, isn't it? No, we can, just like Byrne in his opening prayer, did you notice? He said we can admit our faults freely with confidence because of Jesus. Jesus who the Bible testifies and tells us of. The Jesus who died and rose to completely forgive us all of our sins, our secret ones, our willful ones, the whole kit of them. Because of him, we can live this constant attitude of repentance, seeking to please God, admitting our faults, and putting them off time after time. That's what this whole upcoming series is going to be about, being a growing follower of Jesus. Get into it. Come back next week. Join a growth group if you're not in one already. Use the resources that I know Byrne has been slaving all of January and probably December to write useful small group material for us. Let's wrap up. Contemporary culture silences the song of creation to its creator. And that's really tragic. We who have come to know Jesus Christ, the one to whom the the whole creation, the universe itself, the stars sing his glory. We who have come to know him according to his written word, we can listen to the song of the universe, to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Savior. We can join that song, as we will in a minute when we sing our final song. And we can call others to listen as well. Hear the voice of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, again, that you give us a world worth living in. Thank you that you give us a Savior worth worshipping. Jesus Christ. Thank you that you give us good news worth hearing and repeating. We pray that you take us now as we engage with the rest of this week in all of its difficulties and opportunities. Help us to rejoice in you and thank you for the opportunities. Help us to seek your strength in the challenges and in all things as we engage with every aspect of this created universe that is ours, that we operate in the people, the jobs, the studies, the paths we walk down, the cars we drive, the food we eat, the shopkeepers we chat with and try not to lose our temper with, with all of them, may we see how we can honor and worship you, just like the creator, the universe you created challenges us and speaks to us to do so. Amen.